Well, after all that, I didn't know if I needed to preach or not. That's pretty good. Wow, what a message. Thank you, choir and orchestra. And uh, uh, man, I, I got to listen to it twice. See if you'd have been here at the early service. Uh, made me cry both times. So uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Take your copy of God's Word and go to uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. When I was uh, a young man early in, in my life, I was in the military and uh, I served as a flight deck troubleshooter for a number of years. And if you don't know what that is, basically when they come up to the flight deck on an aircraft carrier to man up the aircraft, um, me and some other guys were there in case they had a problem so they didn't miss their launch. In other words, if they fired up the airplane and something electronic and the airplane didn't work, that was my area. Uh, they would call for me, I would run over and repair it so they could make their flight. And likewise, when they returned and they landed, trapped and parked the airplane, I would be standing there when the pilot got out of the airplane and they would tell me if something worked on it because you understand we only had 12 airplanes, we had to use the same ones for the next launch, so they needed them fixed. So uh, basically a troubleshooter. The reason I tell you that is our flight ops often began early in the morning before sunup. It would, you know, we might have the first launch at 4 or 5 a.m., which means we'd be on the flight deck an hour or so before that. And so we were up at, at uh, you know, zero dark 30, as they say in the military. And it was darkest, as many of you know, if you've worked or been up in those times of the morning, it seems to be the darkest part of the night. There's, uh, you look out at the ocean and it's dark and you can't see. Uh, but then in the east, when the sun begins to come up, you see an orange glow. And uh, the first rays of light begin to, to pierce the, the, the scenery on the horizon, and I never, ever grew tired of watching uh, those sunrises come up in the east across the ocean. It was always so beautiful. And as I was reading this passage this week and thinking about Easter, uh, spiritually, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Jesus was arrested on, uh, on uh, Thursday evening. You will remember he had spent uh, time with his disciples in the upper room, he had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and began to pray. And he prayed so intently that the Bible says he sweat And what Jesus was praying about is he was asking the Father if there was any other way to redeem us, any other way to pay for our sin other than him becoming sin. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want to die for us because he did go to the cross and die for us. But you understand that Jesus is God and, God and man at the same time. He was God incarnate in human flesh. And as deity, as God, sin uh, was offensive to him and still is. And so the thought of Jesus becoming sin, that he who had never known sin would become sin so that you and I could be forgiven and have his righteousness. And so Jesus prayed and asked the Father if there was any other way, you know, could this cup pass from me? And of course the answer was no. There had to be a perfect sinless sacrifice to pay for sin, and Jesus was that sacrifice. And so he went to the cross. He was arrested in the garden, and in the night, Jesus endured six uh, legal hearings, if you will. Three of them were Jewish, which, by the way, was illegal. The law forbade the Jews from having a trial at night. It was supposed to be conducted during the day, but the religious leaders were in such a hurry to try to kill Jesus that they were willing to break their own laws and, and, uh, and lack integrity, if you will, in the whole process. So Jesus
Pilate, who would make the final verdict about Jesus because he was the governor, the authority of the Roman Empire in the area. Now, two, two verdicts were reached with regard to Jesus. And you can read about these in the, in the Gospels. The first verdict that was reached was not guilty. In other words, Pilate, in Luke 23, verse 4, in just the previous chapter, Luke said this, uh, Pontius Pilate said this, I find no fault in this man. So they declared Jesus was innocent of all the charges against him. In other words, he's not guilty of any of the things you accuse him of. He's an innocent man. Well, we would think if that verdict had come down, then they should have let Jesus go. But the uh, religious leaders of the day practically lost their minds at hearing that. And they, they threatened Pilate. And they said this, they said, if you let him go, we're going to tell on you. If you let him go, we're going to write a letter to Rome and we're going to tell Caesar. Now that scared Pilate. Let me tell you why. He had already had difficulty in the region keeping the Jews under control. He had already been reported to Caesar negatively more than once. And Pilate knew that he was running on thin ice and that if they said to Caesar that he was not ruling well again, that he would probably get fired and maybe worse. So to guard his own political career and really to preserve his own place, if you will, his own place of authority, he condemned Jesus to death. He condemned an innocent man, a man that he just said, I find no fault in him. He turned him over to be crucified. Now, just as there was two verdicts as it concerns Jesus, a verdict of innocent and then a verdict of condemnation that he would die on the cross. There were two reactions to the death of Jesus. The first reaction was one of celebration and satisfaction. The religious leaders had finally achieved their goal to, rid, to be rid of this man who was the bane of their existence. Jesus, this one who preached in power and spoke as no one had heard, this one who performed miracles, God in flesh. He was a threat to their system, to their religious system, and so they were celebrating that Jesus would die. I suspect Satan and all the forces of evil celebrated as well that, that the Son of God would be crucified and that God's plan would be thwarted. So while there was a celebration, there was also sadness and sorrow as the disciples and the apostles and those who put their faith in Jesus were stumped at why Jesus would allow himself to be crucified. This one who raised the dead, this one who healed the blind and the lame, and this one who could calm a, a storming sea and make it calm, why would he allow himself to be arrested and crucified? If you read the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said this. He said, no one takes my life from me. He went on to say, I lay it down and I take it up and my Father has granted this to me. No one could have executed Jesus. No one could have crucified him if he did not lay his life down. Now, you know why he did that? He did it to pay for your sin and mine. He willingly went to that cross to pay a debt that we cannot pay. And though they were stumped and though they could not understand why Jesus would allow himself to be crucified, the beauty is this. The stage was set for the greatest demonstration of the power of God ever to that point. The stage was set for the resurrection.
So look with me at verses 1 through 3 of Luke 24. And let's consider the events of that first Sunday morning, that resurrection morning. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, the women, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now let me kind of set the context. First day of the week is Sunday morning early. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus literally every Sunday morning, the first day of the week. The church began to meet on the first day of the week after Jesus arose from the grave. But let me, let me tell you why there was the urgency and why these ladies were going early in the morning. Jesus was arrested on a Thursday night. He was on trial all night long. Friday, they found him innocent and then condemned him to die. He was hung on the cross with two thieves. And so there's Jesus and two men on the sides. The Jews counted a day from sundown to sundown. So the Sabbath day would officially begin, Saturday would officially begin at sundown on Friday. There was this anxiety that the bodies of these men would still be on the cross at sundown, which would defile the Sabbath day. So they needed the men to be dead and off the cross by sundown and buried and out of the way. You'll remember in the crucifixion account of the Gospels, and I don't have time to go back and read all this, but you'll remember they came by and they broke the legs of the two men on each side of Jesus. They did that so they would die quickly. See, crucifixion as a form of execution was not only a death penalty, but it was a penalty to suffer for days. Typically, historically, when someone was crucified, they left them on the cross for days, and it took three or four days for a person to die. And they would typically die of loss of blood, dehydration, exposure to cold at night, hot in the day, no water, no food, and then they would eventually expire. It was very painful, and it drug on for days. They didn't have days in this case because they needed them off the cross before sundown. So they broke the legs of the two thieves so that they would suffocate, and they died. And when they came to Jesus, Jesus was already dead. Now, Jesus died like none of us can die. Jesus died uniquely. He died different from any other human being because he's God and man at the same time. When you read the crucifixion account, Jesus made seven utterances from the cross. And at the end, he said, it is finished, meaning I have paid for sin, I've taken the penalty, and then the Bible says he dismissed his spirit. So Jesus died on purpose as a payment for your sin and mine. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead, so they took a spear stabbed him in the side, blood and water ran. Took the bodies down in haste and buried them. Thus, we come to these women. When they took Jesus' body down, they didn't have time to properly anoint it with the spices and the oils. They just had to wrap it and get it in the tomb because Sabbath day was beginning. So Sabbath came and went. Sundown Saturday afternoon, Sabbath is over. So early Sunday morning, these ladies are coming to the tomb to do what? They want to honor Jesus by properly anointing his body. They want to go in the tomb, do the spices, do the oils, and honor him. Now, as I thought about this this week, I thought how different that is from the church of the 21st century. Without belaboring this point too long, I couldn't help but make some notes about it, and, and I want to share them with you. There were two things that drove these women we can demonstrate it, if you will, their love for Jesus. Two things manifested were an outward expression of their love for Jesus. Because see, Christians today, 
You know, if I were to walk around the room and go, do you love Jesus? Your natural instinct first answer is, oh yeah, I love Jesus. And if you're saved, man, I love Jesus. Not always the case. Not as it should be. Not always demonstrated as it should be. Two things these ladies wanted to do because they loved Jesus. And the first one is honor him. Even in death, they wanted to honor him. Even in death, they wanted to come and serve him. Honor him by anointing his body. Honoring God, honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, really in our lives is demonstrated, number one, by obedience. Do we do what he says? You see, don't say, we can't say, man, I love Jesus and never do anything that he tells us to do. That's a contradiction because our actions say that we don't love Jesus. You know, it'd be the same as saying, I love my wife, but never demonstrating that I love her, never spending time with her, never, never doing the things that demonstrate love. Don't say that we love Jesus and we don't obey him. Likewise, let's don't say that we love Jesus and we never surrender to him to do what he asks us to do, or that we love Jesus and we live in sin instead of holiness. Now, there's no perfection in this life. None of us live perfect. But choosing, choosing to live like the world rather than follow Jesus as close as, as the Holy Spirit enables us is a contradiction in our statement that we love Jesus. Because if we love him, we want to be holy and honor him. God said, be holy because why? I'm holy. So if you love Jesus, pursue holiness. If you love Jesus, you're going to tell other people about him. You're going to tell other people about him. Don't say, man, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. You never tell anybody about a Savior that can, can take them to heaven forever and forgive their sin. These ladies demonstrated their love for Jesus through honoring him. And secondly, they demonstrated their love for Jesus by serving him, by serving him. All the guys, all the apostles, all the men, who knows where they're at? You know, they're hiding. They're still confused and afraid. These women, they got their stuff together bought all the spices and the ointments and all the stuff they needed. They don't even know how they're going to get in the tomb, but they go. They're going to serve him. They don't understand what happened, but they're going to serve him. People today, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. They're not part of any local church anywhere. You say, well, pastor, I don't want to come here. Wonderful. Great. Just drive down the street. There's a half a dozen. Okay. But find somewhere, find somehow that you get plugged in to live for Jesus, that you serve him. When you got saved, if you're, if you're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gift, usually more than one. The place where you can most employ that spiritual gift is in the local body of believers. You know why? Because God gave it to you to edify the body of believers. God gave it to you to use for his glory. These ladies showed their love for Jesus because they served him. They went and they did something when nobody else was doing anything. What a lesson for us today in the church. You know what happens in the church today? I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but this is the way it is. Somebody gets mad, they take their toys and go home. Sat in my seat, you parked in my parking place. You know, you didn't say hi to me this morning. I visited a church one time I'm a total stranger there. I sat down, a lady walked up to me and said, you're sitting in my seat. 
listen, let's don't, let's don't talk about being, you, you want to you wanna see what people look like to love Jesus? Look at these ladies. Look at these women. Man, they don't care what people think. They don't care about the Roman guards. They don't even know how to get in the tomb. They're going. Well, would we have Christians like that in the church today? I don't understand everything, preacher. I don't know why people do what they do. I don't know what happens. I don't know how these things happen. But I know one thing. I love Jesus above everything else. And so that stuff's all secondary. And I am following Jesus as close as I can. Some Christians like that. How about some Christians like these ladies? Well, what do they find when they get to the tomb? Look at verses 2 and 3 again. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is important. They get there and the stones roll away. Now, you know, you've been around Easter services long enough to know how this works. They hewed out these, these graves on the side of a little hill, usually limestone. They made a little shelf. They put the body in there. It's small. It's not very big. They put the body in there. They have a stone in a trough, and they roll it down to, to seal the tomb, to keep animals out and to keep the body, you know, just to, uh, a grave. Well, the, the religious leaders knew Jesus had prophesied that he's going to come out of the grave. So they went to the authorities and said, look, we don't want anybody to steal the body and say that Jesus arose from the grave, so we need to seal the tomb and we need to put guards out there. Wouldn't you like that duty? I mean, you come, you know, you're a Roman soldier and go, I got something for you guys to do. You're going to stand watch over a grave. Wonderful. Somebody coming out, we don't expect it, but you're going to stand there to make sure nobody gets in. Okay? So the Roman soldiers are there and they seal the tomb with a Roman seal. Nobody can open it. And if you read Matthew 28, an angel showed up. And by the way, they got the Roman government or the seal on the tomb because he rolled a stone away and sat on top of it. Kind of like dared them. Now what you going to do? Well, the Roman guards all passed out. They all got paralyzed with fear, passed out and ran away. That's what they found when they came in the morning. They saw the stone roll away. The Roman soldiers are gone. The tomb is open and they looked in there and guess what's not in there? The body of Jesus. Why is the body of Jesus not in there? Because... He arose from the grave, and he walked out of there in his resurrection body. The ladies were the first witnesses to the empty tomb, the first ones to have testimony of the risen Lord. Now, they didn't really understand what was going on initially. Look at verses 4 to 7. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The women were perplexed. You know why they were perplexed? Because they didn't listen. They didn't listen. I tell my kids sometimes, I've told all four of them, my grown ones, my young ones. I'll say, how many ears did God give you? They'll say, I got two. So how many mouths do you have? They'll say, one. I say, why don't you listen twice as much as you talk? <laughs> it never works. But I tell them that. You know what the problem is in, in the world today? People aren't listening to what God has to say. Listen to me. They're not listening to what God has to say. I'm going to go quick so you listen quick. I was watching a memorial this week, okay? It's a memorial of a famous singer. I'm not going to tell you who it was because it was for a band that you probably think I'm not supposed to listen to. But it was, it was a famous singer. I was 19 once, so I know a lot of bands, okay? 
But this famous singer died in 2016. Great songwriter, great musician, top of his game, famous, rich, prosperous, you name it, whatever, whatever achievements in life, he had them, okay? And he, and he died kind of unexpectedly in 2016, and I was watching this video about his death and the band and all this stuff, and I got to thinking, I thought, man, that guy's been dead six years, you know, 2016 to 22, six years. And then I got to thinking, I wonder, I wonder if he was saved. And I kind of looked into his life a little bit, and no indication, no indication that he'd ever made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. No indication that he'd ever been saved. And that kind of saddened my heart. I'm going to tell you why it saddened my heart. A man blessed with, with such talent and gifts from God and, 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 the, and the ability to think musically and sing and entertain and just a, a, just a skilled, gifted musician probably spent the last six years in hell. Now, if he was saved... Amen. Praise God. No indication in his life that I could see. I'm thinking people aren't living to say. And I thought, what if God would let him come back for one day and get on a stage and all the fanfare that would go with it I guarantee his message would be different. I guarantee he'd say to the world, look, you don't want to go where I've been and where I got to go back. You don't want to go there. You say, how do you know he would say that? Glad you ask. In Luke chapter 16, there's two guys. Lazarus loved God and he was poor and he died and he went to Abraham's bosom, heaven, paradise. The rich man died who knew not God and the Bible says, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham, and he said, Abraham, first can Lazarus stick his finger in some water and just touch my tongue because I'm in torment. And I, man, it's painful. And Abraham said, nah, there's a gulf between us, and you're there, and we're here, and, you know, can't, can't go between two. And then he said, the rich man who's in hell got real evangelistic. He said, well, then send Lazarus back from the dead, to tell my brothers, don't come here. Now, Abraham's answer is what I'm getting to. Abraham said, well, we can't do that either because he has, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. Now, listen to this. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to one who comes back from the dead. What does that mean to us today? It's very likely to people that are watching online and all of you here in the balcony down here that somebody here today is not saved. And if you won't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from the one who did come back from the grave, Jesus Christ, if you won't hear what the Bible says that we're all sinners and Jesus died for your sin and he went in the tomb and rose the third day and he's alive right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for all who call on his name. If you won't believe that and you won't come to Jesus now, you won't come if God sent somebody back from the dead. You won't even hear. What I'm saying is their problem, the reason they didn't understand is they're not listening. Are you listening this morning? 
I'm not asking you if you're thinking about religion or if you're religious. I'm not asking you to be anything other than a sinner who cries out to Jesus Christ and says, man, I need to be forgiven. And I believe, Jesus, you can do it. That's what you need. Now, you leave out of here today and you say, oh, that's great and great music. And you walk away from Jesus and you find yourself in hell one day. You got nobody to blame but yourself. Nobody to blame but you. Why? Because God's telling you. And the Holy Spirit's telling you. Humble yourself and ask God to save you. Let me close with this thought. Look at verses 8 to 11 real quick and we'll, and we'll go. <clears throat> the angel says to them, don't you remember what Jesus said when he was in Galilee that he was going to be arrested and crucified and come back the third day? Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. Then they returned to the, uh, from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, now listen. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So the same problem the women had, now the apostles have. Oh, he's alive. He's not in a tomb. The angel told us he's alive, and the men went, man, something wrong with y'all. Uh, you know, I don't know what, you know, idle tales. I don't, you got, I don't know what you were doing. It's too early in the morning. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me, tell you, let me tell you two things that makes Christianity different. We're going to close. Two things. The first one is this. I shared this not long ago. Early in my scholastic work going to college, I took a world religions class. I don't recommend that, but I needed a humanities. It was the only one I could get. And I thought, this is going to be fun. And the guy that was teaching the class was an anthropologist. He dug up dead things. I thought, maybe this is not going to be so much fun. And he said, I don't want any proselytizing in this class. Hmm. I took that as a challenge. So every paper I wrote, guess what he got a full load of? Jesus and, and how to get saved. Anyway, I'm saying, this, I'm saying that to say this. I have studied the various prominent religions in the world. I've studied Christianity because Jesus is real and God's real and that's his book. Let me tell you something. There's two things that separate Christianity. And when I say Christianity, I don't mean a denomination. I mean, I mean Jesus as the Savior, trusting him to save you. That's what I mean. Number one is this. We have a living Savior. Listen, a living Savior. Jesus got up out of that tomb and he walked out. Okay. He is alive right now in a resurrection body at the right hand of the Father. He's a living Savior. No other religion in the world has a living Savior. None. Zero. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the You got a problem with that? Take it up with Jesus. He's saying, you ain't getting there if you don't go through him. I can say it a bunch of other ways, but I think you understand. Unless you come to Jesus, you're not going. Number two, here's the second thing separates Christianity from other religion in the world. The word grace. Grace. Every religion in the world is a works-based religion. And I mean without exception. Every other religion in the world, for you to be saved or go to heaven or go to paradise or go to Valhalla or go to wherever the paradise is or whatever it's called, for you to get there... You have to do something. Abstain from this wrong thing. Do this right thing. Do these good works. 
to earn your way into wherever it is you want to go. Not so with Jesus. Why? Because first of all, Jesus said, you can't get there on your best day. You can't do good. In fact, Isaiah said, your very best is as what? Filthy rags. On your best day, you don't even come close to measuring up. None of us do. So what did Jesus do? Jesus said, you can't, you don't have a, a chance of getting yourself into heaven, so I'll leave heaven, become a human being sinless and down across so I can save you by grace. Grace. That's how you get there. Now, if you're here this morning and God is dealing with your heart, I'm not asking you to do anything but